Acts chapter 1. We've come as far as verse 8. Let's uh, read down the former treatise. Have I, O Theophilus, uh, I've made to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, the book of Acts, if you weren't here, is the continuation of what Jesus is doing and teaching. Until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Ghost, he had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, and these guys all but John are going to be martyrs. They're all going to, you know, be burned at the stake. They're all going to be crucified. They're all going to be shot full of arrows. They're going to be... But, you know, if you spend 40 days with a risen Christ and you see the nail marks in his hands and the marks on his body and and uh, he's alive after he was dead, then they can't threaten you with much except it hurts for a little while. Then you're on your way to glory, you know. Uh, these guys, so they're with him these 40 days and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, because he spoke to them now forty days things pertaining to the kingdom, Lord, will thou at this time to restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. He didn't deny it. He just said, You don't need to know those things which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8, where we left off, where we come to now, is the key verse that opens the book of Acts. It says, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. He tells them to wait, and he says, you wait until you receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And he says that you can be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. By the way, it divides up the book of Acts nicely. The beginning of it is about Jerusalem and Judea. And then in chapter 8, we move into Samaria and so forth. And then finally, as we come to Paul's ministry, we end up in Rome, the uttermost parts of the earth. So the book takes us from Jerusalem to Rome, and of course Rome had the influence over the world in that day. Um, interesting again, as we looked at this last week, the, the, the last red letters you have here, if you've got a red letter Bible, the, re the last ones you have is, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And he floats away. Lord, that's the church program? Uh, what about pews? What about rear screen projection? What about smoke machines? What about laser? You know, what do you mean? This is this is uh, just wait here and then you're going to get power and you're going to be witnesses everywhere and he floats away. 
no more plan than that. That's plan A. That's that's what's going to happen. You know, it's interesting. Lightfoot tells in the Apostolic Fathers that by the end of the first century, there there were Episcopal, Presbyterian, and Congregational forms of government. By the end of the first century. These are straight from the apostles. They didn't have it straightened out. That's why Satan hasn't been able to stop the church, because we don't know what we're doing. If we had a concrete plan, he'd have shut us down long ago. He says, he says, wait, I want you empowered to be witnesses. Everything you've collected so far is not sufficient in itself. Even speaking to Peter and these apostles that have been with him so long, he tells them the wait. Now, it's interesting, if we go to Matthew's gospel... The last thing he says there is, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things which whoever have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, that's through the Holy Spirit, even to the end of the age. Verse 19, where he says, go, seems to contrast Acts chapter 1, where he says, wait. But it isn't go there, it's having gone, is the tense in the Greek. The idea is, once you guys are on your way, this is what I want you to be doing. In the end of Mark's gospel, it's the same thing. He says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And again, the go ye there is having gone. Once you've begun and once you've gone, this is what I want you to do in your going. Luke, who wrote this book of Acts, tells it to us this way. He said... He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written, and thus it behooveth Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, which is going to be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And take note, you are witnesses of these things. Of it behooved Christ to suffer and rise again the third day, so there could be remission of sins. You are witnesses of these things. Then he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, which we hear in Acts chapter 1. And he says, But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued, it means clothed with, enshrouded with, until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So he's blessing them. The guys are looking. Look, this is a physical frame they had walked with and, and, and spent time with that had been beaten and crucified. This physical frame, as he's blessing them, begins to elevate, begins to go up. And it says here that as he blessed them, he was carried up into heaven, not into the sky. Both Acts chapter 1 here says into heaven, 
And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So there he tells them, wait until you're endued with power. Now, Acts chapter 1 tells us the same thing here. He tells them to wait and he says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Guys, don't worry about the kingdom. Don't worry when the, the Father's going to restore that to, to Israel. That's going to happen. He says, but what you need to do is wait until you receive power. Dunamis. At the end of verse 7, he said, the things that the Father has set in his own power. It's a different word there. Uh, there he's speaking of the Father's authority, exousia. The Father has an authority in regards to these things. Here he's talking about active power, that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Ghost. Now look, as we come to this verse, again, key verse in the book of Acts, it's the key to the book of Acts, and that is the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is reproduction. When something's alive, it reproduces. The church spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That's an evidence of life. That's an evidence of power. We think too often, you know, you know, you got power. You see the guys on TV, power, you know, just and and it's like speaking in tongues and then part of the church saying no that's demonic tongues you can't do that god's never going to give his children demonic tongues by the way that's weird you know but just you know you have the abuse of the gifts of the spirit on one side so and then you have the quenching of the spirit on the other side and again calvary chapel stands in an interesting place we're in between that uh, the the cessationists, you know, think the people who don't believe the Holy Spirit is for today, they think we're charismaniacs, and the charismaniacs think we're Baptist. So we're somewhere in the middle. They think we're grieving the Spirit because you're not allowed to speak in tongues during the service or something. That's not what this is talking about. That is not what this is talking about here. He's talking about having the Holy Ghost, certainly there are gifts of the Spirit, but having the Holy Ghost to empower us to be witnesses, to not go witnessing, but to be martyrs. And a martyr is somebody who manifests what he is. He's not a martyr when he dies. That just reveals that he's a martyr. These men were martyrs long before they died physically. They had given up their lives for Christ long before they were crucified or put to death. And they were witnesses, martyrs. That's what it says here. A church filled with the Holy Spirit. Look, the church today, sadly, is loaded for bear on the horizontal. I see, because of what I do, you know, young pastors around the country. And what they do now is they go online and they go shopping for church success. And they look at everybody who's got cool music and crowds and the most, you know, seats in the pew and all, all the. And, and what they do then is they try to put together a, you know, formula. Well, if we have this and if we get this and if we do this, then we do this. Then we'll jam them in. Then everybody. And it's like baking a pie. You know, these are the ingredients. You put it in the oven, a pie's going to come out. That's, I feel so bad. 
I feel so bad because if we relegate success to what we can accrue to ourselves on the horizontal and we've neglected the vertical, we don't have at all what the Lord is telling us as a church we need to be what he wants us to be in this world. And I see so much of it around us, it's a shame. Here it says this, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Look, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon Samuel. He was a prophet. The Holy Spirit came upon David. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson. The Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit never came in to anyone in the Old Testament. People in the Old Testament were not permanently indwelt with the Spirit. No Old Testament saint ever lifted his head and said, Abba, Father. That never happened in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have a process. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us, the para alongside Cletus, the one who comes alongside of us. And in the pre-salvation work, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us And he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And the Holy Spirit, by conviction, then brings us to Christ. And as he brings us into Christ, we're all baptized by one spirit into one body. And that is the baptism by the spirit into the mystical body of Christ. You didn't ask for that. You asked to be saved. But then the Bible tells you that's what happened. This is talking not about the baptism by the Spirit, but the baptism with the Spirit. Jesus being the baptizer. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And it doesn't say here the Spirit comes in or alongside. This is the Spirit coming upon to empower for ministry like he came upon Old Testament saints. This is the Spirit coming Upon, Listen, um, if we follow our word as we go through this, um, chapter 8, I'll turn there, you don't have to turn. It says this, now, when the apostles were to Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, had received the word of God. They sent them Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Because he said he wasn't yet fallen upon them. They heard they were disciples there. They're believers. So they go down and they lay hands on them and pray for them. And then the Holy Spirit, it says, comes upon them. You have Saul of Tarsus. Jesus appears to him on the road to Emmaus. He says, Who art thou, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And he says, What do you want me to do, Lord? Now, I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus appears to you, brighter than noonday sun, he knocks you off your horse, and you say, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. And you say, What do you want me to do, Lord? You're a believer. It says, Paul went then and prayed for three days. And then the Lord goes and speaks to a man in Damascus named Ananias. I want you to go pray for Saul of Tarsus. Ananias says, Lord, don't you know about this guy's reputation? This guy's, you know, he's done a lot of damage in the church. The Lord says, no, 
He is a chosen, is, not will be. He is a chosen vessel unto me. Ananias then says, all right, and he goes. It says, and Ananias went his way. He entered into the house, putting his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He's already a believer. But he says, now this is something else, that you might be filled with the Holy Ghost. You have Acts chapter 19 as they come to Ephesus. It came to pass while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, he comes unto Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, usually in, in the book of Acts, when you find disciples, you're talking about believers. And he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since? Some of your translations say when. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? People want to camp there and argue. People who say there's only one moving the Holy Spirit in your life, they say, well, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Because he's trying to figure out whether they're believers or not. The Pentecostal thing is, well, no, no. He's saying, did you receive the Holy Ghost since you believe? Which means they're already believers. And it says he found disciples. So that means there's a second blessing. Look, all of that's a mute argument. Because if you read down a little further... Now he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what baptism then were you baptized? Because you baptized the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. They said unto John's baptism, which was a baptism to repentance. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is not baptizing them unless they're believers. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then it says, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, doesn't say whether it's an hour later, a day later, 20 minutes later, later that day, it says, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, then the Holy Ghost came on, that's our word, a P. He came upon them, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. Uh, and it tells us about the people there. So, look, the, the point is, we go here, we come to this place where, where the, the Lord is saying to the apostles, who were already believers, John chapter 20, verse 22, they had already received the Holy Ghost. He's saying, you're not done. There's a need of power upon your lives to perform the ministry I'm setting before you. Not the, the, you know, the the Holy Spirit doesn't just come so you can speak in tongues. You know, Chuck used to say, you know, the, the, the steam's in the engine, not just to blow the whistle, but to move the train. You know, those are led of the Spirit or the children of God. So here he says, I want you to wait till the Holy Spirit has come upon you that you can be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth. Now look, 
our context is the gospel spreading. If we follow our word, marred us there to be witnesses. If any of you want to know what it means to be a spirit-filled witness, okay? Some of you are already saying, I knew that. I knew I knew that I knew this was gonna happen. He does Holy Ghost, but you know, second blessings. So just please stop. That tells us in the book of Acts that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Certainly, the testimony of Jesus is still around. Listen, Luke said this. He said, thus it is written, and thus it behooveth Christ to suffer, listen, and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses, that's the word, wait until you receive power to be witnesses, it says here that Jesus would rise from the dead and you are witnesses of these things, witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. It says in chapter 1 here in Acts, further on, verse 22, beginning with the baptism of John unto the same day he was taken up, we'll read this later this evening, should one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. The resurrection. We're going to see all the way through to be a witness is a witness of the gospel and of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not to sit around and jabber in tongues. I pray in tongues at home. I have a prayer language. I'm not putting that down. We're going to get to that. This year is power to be witnesses. Acts chapter 3. But you denied the Holy One, the Just One. You desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Acts chapter 5, 30 and 32. We have raised from the dead and witnesses twice. It says, God, the God of our fathers, raised up Jesus whom you slew and hanged on a tree, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and savior, for to give repentance to Israel, the forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses, God who raised his son from the dead of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to those who obey him. Acts chapter 10, verse 39, we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree, him God raised up. That's what they're witnesses of. The third day, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, with whom he did eat and drink after he rose. He demonstrated his resurrection from the dead. Acts chapter 13 says, And when they fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen of many of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses, the one who was raised from the dead. Again, Paul's uh, testimony, Acts 22, says, 
For thou shalt be, Ananias said, his witness unto all people. Paul says, he appeared unto me and said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a witness of the things which thou hast seen, the risen Christ, and for which I did appear unto thee. Peter, in his first epistle, says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of glory. Also his resurrection. So that's our word martis, okay? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Empowered with the Holy Spirit throughout. For what? To be witnesses to our generation of a risen Christ. To share the gospel with the lost city, nation, and world that we live in. That's why we need power. That's why I need power. You know, people used to say, you know, go to hear Whitfield. Somebody said to Ben Franklin, why are you going to, to, to hear Whitfield? You don't believe what he says. I don't go to, he said, I don't go to hear Whitfield because I believe what he says. I go to hear Whitfield because he believes what he says. Nikki, I remember years ago I talked to Nikki Cruz, you know, from the sword and the switchblade. And he said, you know, he said, we had heard people preach the gospel. And he said, but he said, when we heard Wilkerson, it was different because he believed what he said. He said, we didn't believe it, but he believed it. And it changed our lives. Listen, Marturion is another witness, you know, a, a version of the, the word witness. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. This is what they gave testimony of. Here's an interest. This is interesting now. Marturio. A version of the same word. Please pay attention. You too. Marturio, Acts chapter 6 verse 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you for seven men of honest report. Marturio. That are martyrs. That are witnesses. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom you may appoint over this business. You know, there in, in, in Acts, as they were picking Stephen and the guys to help with ministry, it says they had to be of good report. They had to be witnesses, marturio. It says in Acts chapter 10, and they said, Cornelius, a certain man, oh, he's a, he's a Gentile, centurion, one that feareth God and of good report, he's a witness. Of something. He's of good report. Among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house. They're coming to, to, to Peter to tell him to come to the house of Cornelius because he's of good report. Marturio. Acts chapter 16 says, Then came he to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of, Marturion, he was a witness. He had a good reputation. Tells us this in Acts 22, verse 12, one named Ananias 
Paul's giving his testimony, a devout man according to the law, having a good report, Martyrio, he's a witness of, of all the Jews. He dwelt there. He had a good reputation. First Timothy chapter 3, Martyria, moreover, speaking of the requirements for an elder, First Timothy 3, 7, moreover, he must have a good report, must be a witness of them which are without, lest he fall in reproach in the snare of the devil. That somebody who's going to be an elder of the church should have a good report amongst unbelievers. That they should be a witness. You know, when you're a witness of something in the courtroom, you're talking about what you've seen. You're giving testimony and heard. It says that the Holy Ghost should be on us and on the the, the picture here so that we can be those who bear witness witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to the gospel. Then it takes that word and applies it to character. Those of good report, those of superior character, those who can't be accused, those who have a reputation, they're a witness in regards to what they believe to those around them. Now, I say this because I want you to understand this. The Corinthian church where we hear all about tongues and we hear about the gifts of the Spirit, the reason we hear about them at Corinth is because they were abusing them. This is a church who's getting drunk at the communion table. They're suing one another. They're famous for fornication. They're divided. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. They are bad witnesses. And they're all jabbering in tongues. Do you understand what I'm saying here? They were bad witnesses, but they were all yapping in tongues. See, people will tell us today, you ain't filled with the Spirit if you ain't talking in tongues. No, no. The power of the Holy Spirit is so that we can be witnesses. Look, tonight, what do we need? I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. A Spirit-filled Christian is not a title. It's a condition. You know, we have... In Acts chapter 2, it says there in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost on Pentecost and began to speak with other tongues, it says there. Then it tells us this in chapter 4, verse 8, about Peter standing up before the leadership who he was afraid of before. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, the class condition there, the verb is, he is filled afresh at that instant. Wait a minute, I thought Peter was a spirit-filled Christian. Yeah, he was filled on Pentecost. He's filled again here when he's ready to give testimony of Jesus and the resurrection. It tells us then in chapter 4 further that they wanted to give testimony of Jesus after they were beaten and threatened. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled. These are all people that were filled before. Filled freshly, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. The idea is refills, free refills. All of us love free refills. So, yes, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Uh, I was born again in 1972. A number of days after that experience, a bunch of charismatic Catholics in New Jersey got around me and my friend. They were all praying in tongues. They laid hands on us, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I was already born of the Holy Spirit, but at that point I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul, they're given testimony. Also, Saul, also called Paul, it says, was filled with the Holy Ghost. He set his eyes on this person he's going to deal with, and it means he's freshly filled there. That's Paul, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. It tells us this in Ephesians, and you don't have to turn there. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Don't be under the influence of alcohol. I and mean, we have an addictions meeting here because there's such a plague in our culture of loneliness and brokenness and pain. And there's so many things prescribed and, you know, the, the heroin and the fentanyl and the, everything that's going on around us. It says here, don't be under the influence of the world. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It, the, the, the condition is, be ye being filled with the Spirit. It's a present perfect imperative. It means this is not a suggestion. This is what you need. And it's perfect tense. It means you need to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's passive. It means you don't drum it up. It's something you open up to. And it is given to you. Present passive imperative that we should, as Christians, be being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Someone else does that to us. You know, Jesus said in Luke, in regards to the Father, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask? Okay? So when we go through the book of Acts, we find the word filled uh, we find the word endued. We feel we find that it came upon them. We came in the end of Luke. They were enshrouded with the Holy Spirit. There's this experience. Look, filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4 verse 8 says he was filled while he was testifying. He was filled. Acts chapter 4 verse 31. They're filled with the Spirit while they're praying. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the house of Cornelius, they're filled with the Spirit and begin to speak in tongues while they're listening to the Word of God being taught. Chapter 8 and chapter 19, they were filled with the Spirit when the apostles lay hands on them. So the idea is there's a number of different kinds of circumstances that can surround us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and there's the demonstration of the Spirit and power. Look, Testimonies, and maybe each week for a couple of weeks I'll try to do this. Uh, this is somebody you probably heard of, um, Billy Graham. It says, this is from a book called Spiritual Leadership, and Stephen Olford was part of the process here. It says, Billy's soul was indeed ablaze, unsophisticated. He was painfully aware of his limitations, but he was full of passion. This is Stephen Alford giving the testimony to, uh, to fulfill what he believed God was calling him to, spreading the gospel, the good news, as a message of liberation and love. Obviously, he's a believer. This is Billy Graham at this point in time. As he found some success as an evangelist, he continually sought a greater connection and empowerment. 
During a mission to the British Isles, he met a young Welsh evangelist named Stephen Olford, who had spiritual qualities Billy longed for. He had a dynamic, an exhilaration about him, Billy said, that I wanted to capture. After hearing Olford preach on being filled with the Holy Spirit, Billy approached him and said, You've spoken of something that I don't have. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life, too. In a small stone hotel, Olford led Billy step by step through the Bible on verses on the Spirit's power, which had produced Olford's profound spiritual renewal a few months earlier. The effects of the mentoring, however, were not evident in the evening service. Quite frankly, said Olford later, his preaching was very ordinary. Neither his homiletics nor his theology nor were his particular approach to the Welsh people made much of an impact. The Welsh are masters of preaching. They expect hard, long sermons with a couple hours of solid exposition. Billy was giving them brief little messages. They listened, but it wasn't to their kind. It wasn't their kind of preaching. The crowd was small, passive, and to Billy's invitation, unresponsive. He says, "I gave him my testimony of how God had completely turned my life inside out, and experience with the Holy Spirit in His fullness and anointing." Said Alford, as I talked. And I can see him now, those marvelous eyes glistened with tears. And he said, Stephen, I see it. That's what I want. That's what I need in my life. Olford suggested that they pray this through. Both men knelt on the floor. I can still hear Billy pouring out his heart in a prayer of total dedication to the Lord, said Olford. Finally, he said, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. And we went from praying to praising. We were laughing and praising God. And Billy was walking back and forth across the room, crying out loud, I have it. I'm filled. This is a turning point in my life. He was a new man. As Billy recalls the experience years later, I was beginning to understand that Jesus himself was our victory through the Holy Spirit's power. That night... When Billy preached, for reasons known to God alone, the place, which was only moderately filled the night before, was packed to the door, said Alford. As Billy rose to speak, he was a man absolutely anointed. Members of the audience came forward to pray before Billy gave the invitation. And at the end of the sermon, practically the entire crowd rushed forward. My heart was so moved by Billy's authority and strength that I could hardly drive home. Olford remembers, when I came in the door, my father looked at my face and said, What on earth happened? I sat down at the kitchen table and said, Dad, something has happened to Billy Graham. The world is going to hear from this man. Power to be witnesses of the death and of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So look, I'm saying that because we go into this section of Scripture, and there's all kinds of division in the church over the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is to brings unity. The Holy Spirit, none of us should be divided over whether we think it's important to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, with authority, with effect on people's lives, Correct. 
So that's why Satan doesn't want anybody here tonight to think, I need a greater filling of the Spirit. Oh, no, I don't. You get everything you need the moment you're saved. He wants you to camp right there. You got it all, and there ain't no more. But that's not true. There were continual fillings in the book of Acts, even in the Schofield Bible, the original one before they did the new Schofield, he said, one baptism, many fillings. And the fill, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he won't speak of himself, but he's going to take the things that belong to me and reveal them to you. If you go to a Holy Ghost meeting, the Holy Ghost ain't there. If you go to a Jesus meeting, that's where you'll find the Holy Ghost. Right? Because he takes the things of Christ and he gives them to us. So tonight, you know, we don't want any argument about, you know, what happens and, oh yeah, you know, no, they're charismaniacs. And no, when you get saved, you know, you're baptized, one Lord, one baptism, you're baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's true. Billy Graham experienced that. Moody experienced that. Oswald Chambers experienced that. Uh, Wesley experienced that. And all of them at a later point in their life had a deeper experience with the Holy Spirit that set their ministries on fire. We're going to see here there's 120 people in the upper room. And within 60 years, this gospel has gone to Rome and touched the whole world. Within 30 years of Pentecost, there's over 100,000 believers in Jerusalem amongst the Jews who were antagonistic. So I look at the world tonight and I think, Lord, we're kind of seeing people saved here and there. That's so encouraging. And I think, Lord, are these the last gleanings of the corners of the field before you come? Yahoo! <laughs> then get the last one in and get us out of here. Or, Lord, is this a leak in, in the dike, in the dam, before the, it breaks and we see a great flood of your Holy Spirit again, a great ingathering? That would be wonderful, too. But it ain't going to happen in the strength of the flesh. We've seen some great men go before us, you know, Chuck and uh, Smith and Billy Graham and Warren Wearsby and, you know, J.I. Packer. We see some of these great men of God and they're kind of passing the baton to our generation. If we take that baton in the strength of the flesh, God forbid. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in Calvary Chapel of Philadelphia. And it's probably because your pastor needs a fresh filling with the Holy Spirit in his life. So if you don't want it, pray for me because I want it. You don't think you need it, pray for me because I do think I need it. Okay? Because I want to give testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection in this lost world with whatever time I have left in a way that I've not done before. With more authority and more clarity and more love and more grace. That's the missionary program in the Bible. He doesn't say, you know, say, do we go build hospitals? Do we go build schools? Do we go build orphanages? He says, wait, that's it? Yeah, wait, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll have power, and then you'll be my witnesses. 
the witnesses of my death and resurrection in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the missionary program he leaves. And genuine missionaries, wherever they go, in their own house, to their own family, to their neighbors, to their city, to their nation, and to other countries, the epicenter of what they do is they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, and people are saved and a church is planted. That's the deal. Everything else is ancillary and wonderful so often of the time, but this is the epicenter of the whole thing. He says, wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you that you then can be witnesses of his resurrection all through the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Any questions? Okay. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, they must be amazed as they're standing there listening, he was taken up, and the word means gradually at first, and a cloud received him out of their sight, And while they looked steadfastly, it speaks of some strain. So you just imagine this. They're there with him. He speaks to him. Last thing he says, wait till you get power from the Holy Ghost so you can be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the most parts of the earth. Bye. And he just starts to float up. And it says they're looking steadfastly. Oh, there he is. There he is. You see him? No, there he is. There he is. You know, they're, they're staring as he's ascending. The, the physical one who they embraced and ate with. He's floating away. He's ascending. They see the ascension. He's ascending upwards towards heaven. While they looked up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, that doesn't say they were angels, but every scholar has assumed that they are. And so do I as a, you know, a carpenter. I, I believe these are angels. There were two of them at the tomb in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee. Isn't it interesting that heaven notices that? The only one from Judea was Judas Iscariot. Judas Ish, man of Kirioth in Judea. The other 11 were all from Galilee. The angel says, ye men of Galilee, why stand you around gazing up into heaven? What are you guys doing? There's a program. He just told you. Get into Jerusalem and wait for power. This same Jesus. I love that. I've got that highlighted in my Bible. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The same physical Jesus that went up. He's not coming back as Lord Maitreya. He's not coming back as a guru. He's not coming back as Sung Young Moon. He's not coming. He's this, the same Jesus that went up. This, you know, before Newton, you know, the, the, what goes up must come down. The angel said it. This, this same Jesus that went up, 
He's coming. That's the Jesus we're looking for. The one that we read about on the hills of Galilee. The ones that we see walking through the streets of Jerusalem. The one that these men knew we are going to see. We are going to embrace. The same Jesus that went up is the Jesus that's coming down. The same Jesus we believed in and we've clung to. That we fled to when our hearts are broken. When we're struggling. Whose presence we've found through the Holy Spirit. That Jesus, that same Jesus is coming back. And I'm telling you something. He is coming soon. He's coming soon. Because he said when the Son of Man comes, you know, going to be like a thief in the night. Going to be in an hour. You don't think he's coming. And I'm looking at what's going on in the world. I'm come on, come on, Lord. You know, you know, how much longer are you going to wait? It ain't going to be a surprise to anybody. It, there's a preemptiveness to it. And I'm longing for him to come. Now look, understand in this scene... As he ascends, the greatest part of the scene is unwritten and unseen here. Because he crosses this cloud of glory, no doubt the Shekinah. He steps into the presence of the Father. All of heaven erupts. You just can't imagine what happens on that side when he steps in. Because he's bringing back to God Almighty DNA and chromosomes that have been passed down since Adam. God created Adam in his image and likeness. Adam was an image bearer. Adam sinned. God put him out of the garden. A cherubim guarded, guarded the way to the tree of life. And, and fellowship was broken down between Almighty God and his image bearers that he created for fellowship. That had been shut down, but now through the blood of Christ the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of Christ, Jesus brings back to God Almighty a human frame, conceived in a womb. And as he brings that back to the Father, it secures all of the promises made to the Old Testament saints. Now they know there really is going to be a gift. We really are going to rise. We really are going to enter into these things. It told us on the Mount of Transfiguration that Moses and Elijah come and talk to him. And they're excited about the exodus. Luke says deceased. The word is exodus. They're excited about the exodus he's ready to accomplish at Jerusalem. Because he leads captivity captives. Not captives. He led sin and death itself captive. He led captivity captive as he ascended in power. And he brings a human frame back into fellowship with Almighty God. And the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. And he's going to take this old bag of bones. Then he's going to bring me into the presence of the Father. And he's going to present me faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. And you too. You too. Look, that's why, you know, we, we want to watch what we do. We want to walk in his ways. We want to be led of the spirit. Because when we sin, when we abuse our frame, or sexual sin, or we're doing one thing or another, realize that the physical frame you're in has an eschatological destiny. The physical frame you're, you're living in right now, one day will stand before a holy God. So he beckons us as his sons and daughters to watch what we do with it in this world because one day it will be there in his presence. Now, through the blood of Christ, through the work that was done, praise the Lord, we will stand there faultless. Isn't that amazing? Before his throne with exceeding joy. 
we ain't going to finish chapter one. <laughs> but this is what I do. You know, I want to do this. There's a couple extra minutes of Brian come. But before before he comes, let's do this. And, and, and come on, Brian. Then I believe you're all in agreement with me. We don't normally get to do this. Let's take a moment and pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We ready? Or, or anybody opposed? You can run out and know before we get started because you don't know what kind of weird thing's going to go on in here when we ask the Lord to anoint us so we can preach the gospel. Right? And as we ask the Lord for a fresh filling of a spirit, I encourage you in your heart or in your mind to think of someone while you're praying, Lord, help me to give a clear, spirit-filled testimony to this person that I love, to my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my classmate, my neighbor, to this person that's still lost. Lord, I don't want to try to do this in my own strength. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can be witness, that I can, I can be testifying with authority about your love and your death and your resurrection. Amen? Amen? So let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads right now. Be quiet for a moment. Still yourselves. I'm going to do the same. Let's ask the Lord for a fresh filling of his Holy Spirit. And if there's somebody particular you've been working towards, let's lift that person in the context of a fresh filling. Let's pray. Father, I know you're listening, and I know it must please you to have the hearts of your sons and daughters bowed before you because they believe your word. Father, to be admitting in and of ourselves we can do nothing with the people that we love, the people we want to see saved, the communities and the city that we live in. And Lord, whoever may be listening to this, wherever they're listening to it, Lord, they are admitting the same thing. And in their own strength, they can do nothing. So Lord, grant to us here in Philadelphia, across this country, around the world, grant a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in these days. Grant it to me as an individual Christian man and to the Christian men and women in this room. Lord, fill us afresh, Lord Jesus, with your Holy Spirit. You fell on those that are gathered on Pentecost. There's more than 120 here, Lord. They changed the Roman world. There's hundreds here, Lord. Fill us with your spirit afresh. Empower us. Give us great clarity when it comes to our Savior and our Lord and his resurrection, Father. We we believe that could only please you. We we believe that we're making our request according to your will, Father. And Lord, as we lift our hearts and our voices now, we pray that it continues to be a blessing to you. Father, we love you. You so loved us. You gave your only begotten son. We commit ourselves afresh, Lord, 
Lord, those of us that have been bound with one sin or another, one difficulty or another, Lord, we, in confession, Father, we want to be set free of those things. We don't want to be filled with anger or lust or hatred or attitude. We want to be filled with your Spirit, Lord. We want to be filled with something this world knows nothing of and has no resource of. We want to be filled, Lord, with your person that would stop people, would stagger them and stop them in their tracks. And they would know that we believe what we say we believe, Lord. That that would be contagious. Father, we ask. And we ask in Jesus' name, Father. We ask for his glory, Lord. And in his name, we pray, amen.